Hey friends, Mike Myers here with the Songwriting for Guitar podcast, episode number 48, Understanding Social Media and Music Marketing with Rick Barker. Now, a few weeks ago, I was at my grandmother's house and my uncle was there and he was like, hey, Mr. Musician, it's so good to see you. You know, I hear about these songwriter royalties and these streaming rights and oh, this sounds awful for you guys. And I was like, absolutely, I agree. I think songwriters should be paid fairly. Um, you know, I don't really think about streaming rights, though, because, you know, I, I get my money through other ways uh, in music. And he goes, well, what do you mean? You're a songwriter. And I was like, ah, I'm a songwriting guitarist. And he looked perplexed and confused. And I was like, okay, put it this way. Let's say like an artist gets 100,000 plays on Spotify. That's the equivalent of like $400. I've made that in 40 minutes by tracking my guitar for someone else, giving them ear candy hooks, things that they want. They love it. And they end up being a repeat client. And he was still confused. And I was like, okay, well, how about this? Let's say they get 600,000 plays. You know, that's the equivalent of 2,500. And I've gotten that through one sync licensing placement. And that's just on the front end. And his mind was like, what? And he was like, you, you've got to tell songwriters about this. And I was like, I do. Like, if they're in my circle, you know, I make sure that they're aware of all these opportunities and that they're fully equipped. And he was just like, what? And so... If you're listening to this and your mind is slightly blown, I want you to join me for a free series that I'm launching next week, The Road to Becoming a Songwriting Guitarist. Regardless of where you are right now in your ability, there are steps that you can take right now to help advance your skills so that you can see the opportunities that are available because believe me, there are so many out there for songwriting guitarists. The world needs more. So if you're ready to take your songwriting and you're playing to the next level, just head on over to songwritingforguitar.com to sign up because everything kicks off next week. Now, Rick is a super awesome, nice guy. He's incredibly knowledgeable, and his radio voice is basically kick-ass. <laughs> he is the former manager of superstar Taylor Swift, and in 2008, Rick decided to make it his mission to help as many artists throughout the world build grow and monetize their fan base. He's got over 1,600 clients in over 22 countries, multiple genres of music, and his strategies are changing artists' lives. And in this episode, we're gonna get into a little of his story, how he developed this system, how he came into this world, and his advice for artists out there. Because again, social media and marketing, it can seem overwhelming. Rick has just got a great way of explaining it. So if this is a world that has always seemed confusing to you, overwhelming, and you're just not sure where to start, believe me, this is an episode you're going to want to listen to. So let's dig into it. Episode number 48, Rick Barker. Rick, you're here. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for doing this. And I'm, I'm glad to be talking to you. My pleasure. Thanks for the invite. Well, I am super pumped to get into this. Uh, I know for a lot of people, when they hear your backstory, they're like, you manage Taylor Swift, that's huge. And that is really cool. But I think what you've done since then is really, really interesting. And I feel like you really came into the thing that you, you're you super passionate about. But I'd love to get into your backstory in music. You know, how did you meet Taylor and kind of like your starting point within the industry? Yeah, for me, it was radio. Uh, that's all I ever wanted to do. I wanted to be on the radio. I didn't have the talent or the discipline to learn an instrument. Uh, unless the Motown bands were coming back and needed a baritone, there was really no place for me because doing it solo just <laughs> wasn't going to happen. But I'd always had a passion for music. 
Uh, started my radio career in 1992 in Santa Barbara. Loved being on the radio in what's considered a smaller market. Uh, I was able to be a big fish in a small pond. I used a lot of my influence to help launch a lot of the bands in the early 90s that came out of Santa Barbara. We had quite the music scene back then. We had Ugly Kid Joe, Dishwalla, Toad the Wet Sprocket. You know, a lot of great bands were coming out of the Santa Barbara area. And I just always loved being around live music. In 2001, I was asked to build a country radio station. I figured I was as qualified as anyone else in California since I grew up in Alabama and I knew who Johnny Cash was. And that was right after 9-11. And the world was in a different place at that time. Now, let me just, for full disclosure and full accountability, I was the guy that used to make fun of country music. You know, you just play the song backwards, you get your truck back, your girl back, your dog back, you know, that kind of thing. But it was because of ignorance. It wasn't because I actually listened to it. It was just because I fell into the trap that everyone else fell into. Oh, it's a bunch of yahoos. But my gosh, when I started this country station and I started listening to the words and listening to the lyrics, I fell in love with these stories. I fell in love with the songwriting process. Uh, Someone who actually is from that town uh, where I built that country station up in the San Inez Valley, Marv Green. Marv was a hit songwriter. He wrote Amazed. He wrote George Strait songs, Tim McGraw songs, stuff. So he started bringing all these songwriters through. And about that time, as I got recording uh, reporting status, which means that I basically reported what my chart was, that's when the record companies started calling. And that's when they started bringing artists through on radio tour. And that's when I started just asking questions. I always tell people I'm never going to be the smartest guy in the room, but I'm going to ask questions. And if I hear a problem, I'm one of those solutions based Mm -hmm. folks. So you'll get a kick out of this being a musician is that Mike, these guys would come to town. I'd say, well, why don't we ever get to see them play? Why don't we put them on a stage at the end of the day? And I was starting to hear things like, well, they don't have enough material. And I'm like, wait, you signed an artist to a, there's this artist signed to a major label who can't play for 30 minutes. I I came from the pop world and the rock world. and And I'm like, this is intriguing to me. But then they said something interesting. They said, well, no one knows who they are. So no one will show up. I said, well, if I go on the radio and I play the song a lot, I get it familiar. I tell them how excited I am. And we're in a town where there ain't a lot going on. We got an Indian casino and one bar. So if I bring an artist to town, people are going to show up. They're like, really? I'm like, yes. So I went ahead, bought some shows, brought some people through town, word started getting out. And I'm like, wow, I wonder if I could do this in my market, if I could help other radio stations do the same thing in California. And I ended up creating the first ever radio tour where artists actually got paid. Uh, that put me, I helped launch Sugarland, Little Big Town, you know, bands that went on to win Grammys. Uh, that got me on the radar of Big Machine Records when they approached me and hired me to be a promoter for their label because I'd already built relationships with all these radio stations. And that's what a radio promoter does. They build relationships with radio stations to get your music played. And I asked them, I said, I said, why me? I'm like, you can hire anybody you want. He says, Rick, he says, it's not, this isn't going to come out right, but I don't want you to take it the wrong way. He says, you're just too dumb to know any better. And I'm like, all right. (laughs) I knew I grew up in Alabama. I didn't finish high school. 
how the hell is that a compliment? He says, listen, he says, I'm starting this label with a 15-year-old that no one's ever heard of, this dude out of Texas and somebody who had a failed single. He said, everybody else will use that as a reason why it won't work. You just seem to go in one direction and you're a solutions person. So this is going to be right for you. And that 15-year-old just happened to be Taylor Swift. And they sent her to me. I was the West Coast Regional, so I was in California responsible for nine states, about 80 radio stations. And what a lot of people don't know about Taylor is that for the first four years, she started, she got her first publishing deal when she was 12 years old. From 12 to 16, all she did was focus on writing music. She wasn't out gigging. She wasn't out. She wasn't old enough to do any, at, a, at the time it was only American Idol. She wasn't old enough to do American Idol. She was just focusing on her craft. All she cared about was getting the music right. And so they wanted me to take her out and let her perform and teach her radio and that thing. And she, she came to California. We spent 30 days together. Six months later, her parents asked me to be her manager. So you can unpack any of that that you want to unpack. <laughs> Well, we move on. <laughs> well, cool. So let's unpack that. So right there, I love the fact that you were told, hey, I'm going to create this country radio station, but you had this template of like, this is what I think country music is. Ah, yeah. And But then when you got into it, you could have gone two ways. Like you Perfect. could have just gone like, ah, I'm going to do this thing. But you actually went in, you know what? I, you know, I misjudged this. Yeah. You know, I really, and you know, I can totally get that. When I started, I was in a punk rock band. It was this. And then when I started teaching, which was a lot of different genres that I wasn't comfortable, you know, I didn't know, I didn't listen to, there were preconceived notions. But when I started listening to and teaching a bunch of Taylor Swift, teaching a bunch of country, I was like, this is damn good. This, yeah. I can see why this is really good right now. Yeah. And it's just like, what was I believing this wasn't, you know, to the, the same level, the equivalent? There's a lot of preconceived notions that just get wiped away. But just how you were accepting of a lot of those bands too and bringing them in and you were the person, it was because you were able to see past a lot of sometimes these things that, these filters that really aren't there, well, but like I, what it could be. We all assume, you know, we're all guilty of it. We assume, we we assume that it's hard to to learn an instrument. Well, you could probably show me how to play a guitar. I what was hard was me getting out of my own way. You know, I didn't have the patience, and most artists don't have patience when it comes to other things. But the thing that I understood, and the thing that I learned, and for anyone that's doing music, it wasn't about what Rick Barker liked. It was about what the audience liked. And that's the same thing that I try to teach the artists that I work with right now. If you're doing everything just because you like it, that's great if this is going to be a hobby. But when you want it to become a business, when you want there to be some sort of commerce, you need to give the audience what they want. If you want TikTok to give you results, you need to give TikTok what TikTok wants, not what Rick Barker thought TikTok wanted. And I learned, I spent a lot of time and wasted a lot of time. That one commodity we can never get back trying to make it work for how I wanted it to work instead of looking at it and saying, okay, this is what it is. This is what it does. This is how I can be effective. And that's the same thing. It's like, I'm sitting there going, okay, this may perceive not be my cup of tea, but boy, there's a whole lot of people that love this, this style of music. And when I was putting myself in a position to start bringing the artists that they hear on the radio into this, into our town, they just thought, Oh my gosh, now I can go meet these people at a live show. Now I can, you know, buy merch. Now I can support. There was just a lot that went into the thought process behind it. But in reality, it was just common sense. It's like, 
it's only unfamiliar if people don't hear it. And that's how the record company thought. Well, you, you'll only be able to play the song a couple of times a day. No, I can play the song as often as I want. It's my radio station. You know what I mean? It's like you guys can have your music played as often as you want because it's your phone. And your phone is now your radio station. You have your own radio station called Twitter. You have your own radio station called YouTube. You have your own radio and television station. Now, shit, they're all radio and television stations now. It used to be we only had YouTube. Now everything does video. So when artists complain to me that, you know, no one knows my music and I can't get anyone to listen to my music, most of the time I say, well, how many times did you share that today? Well, I didn't. Well, that's the problem is because you're assuming someone's going to find it. And in a world where 60,000 songs are uploaded a day and the Internet is like the world's biggest library with over, you know, 100 million songs on it. How the hell are they going to find your song if you're not driving eyeballs or if you're not driving people to this music? And that's kind of what I do today is, you know, I was with Taylor for a few years and, you know, started consulting labels and saw the nonsense that was going on there. And I'm like, wait a minute, let me think about something for a second. As long as people keep having babies that want to be singers or musicians, I never run out of a potential audience if I can solve a problem. And mm-hmm. the problem was, is that no one was teaching them how to be their own record labels. No one was teaching them how to be their first manager. No one was teaching them marketing. You know, no, everyone was just, you know, here, let me show you how to buy followers. Let me show you all this fake stuff. And that's the thing that I realized with Taylor early on is we started off small, but they were real. And because she brought them into her world and she didn't keep secrets and she shared everything with them, they've now grown up with her. And now she's the biggest selling artist, you know, almost of all time because of the fact that she didn't keep secrets, because of the fact that she didn't wait for radio to play her song. She showed up on MySpace and she played it every night for them. What you can learn from Taylor, which all of you can duplicate, is don't wait. She didn't wait. She didn't wait because at the label, you have to wait your turn. She says, wait a minute, while I'm waiting my turn, there's this technology over here that allows me to build relationships. There's this technology over here that allows me to share my music. There's this technology over here that allows me to get to know someone's name. And so, you know, this is what she did. If all of you, you know, want, it's going to be hard to get her results because the times have changed. Yeah. But use the things that you can duplicate. Too often, I th- I see artists trying to focus on the things that aren't duplicatable. And it's like, yeah. no, <laughs> no, that's not it. And and that's the interesting pivot that you made. You know, I think Taylor is a great representation of, yeah, it's like she started showing up to the audience and sharing, no matter yeah. what, just being consistent with it and yeah. learning. And I think that's what's great about her story. When people think Taylor Swift, they're just like, eh, you know, you know, she her daddy was rich and blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, there's a shortage of daddies with money that got people that are more talented than her. You know what I mean? It's like, that's not the magic formula. It was the work ethic. He wrote, she showed up and she was like, let me learn and just kept on at it. And what I find interesting is like, you were in a position like when you left Taylor and people are like, Rick, why'd you leave? Was that? And you were like, I had a family. And I think that's an awesome, and you know, I want to be there. I had a choice. I made that choice. And you could have gone in different directions where, yeah, there's probably no shortage. And you probably have tons of stories of people are like, they would all show up. Yeah. Yeah. Every oil dad from Texas with a blank check. I mean, I turned down so much money. And it was funny because people were coming to town and 
all these other people were like, oh, you got money? Great. We'll take you to radio. And, you know, there was all this bull S yeah. going on. And all of a sudden they're like, man, if there's anybody that could be out there taking money right now, it'd be you. I said, yes, but I can't give them what they're hoping to buy. It's like the music business, just, just so you guys know, it's a dysfunctional business. And the reason why is because your rewards are not in direct proportion to the work that you put in. In most businesses, if they're struggling, you can throw money at it and fix it. You can throw manpower at it and fix it. You can throw equipment at it and fix it. You can be doing what you perceive to be everything right in the music business and it still not work because the consumer does not have to pay to consume your product. And most businesses would go bankrupt if that was the case. So what I spend a lot of time on right now is shifting the mindset of the artist to say, look, what, what do you want? You know, it's like, well, I just want to be successful. Great. Then let's figure out what success means because some people's success may be writing a song, singing it to their wife, and that's success to them. Congratulations. They achieved success. Some people might be paying your bills. Some people it might be breaking even. It's just you have to figure out, first off, what success means, and then you have to create the plan, a realistic and obtainable plan. Well, I want to win a Grammy. Great. Well, they only give out one in every category every single year, and there's, you know, over you know a million artists that are out there all wanting the same thing. If that's how you're going to base whether you were successful or not is whether you won a Grammy, good luck. But why not write Grammy-worthy music? Why not build, you know, that's what I mean. It's like there's certain things that you could do. I'm not saying don't shoot for something, but don't let that be the end all be all on whether you had success or not. Because if you think about it, if you say, I want my music to impact as many people as possible, that can happen. We can, I can show you how to do that. I want to be able to get my music in front of people throughout the world. Great. I can help you do that. I want to get my songs on radio. Can't control that. There's gatekeepers. I can control everything that the gate, where the gatekeeper is not located. And the thing, cool part today is that the gatekeepers aren't all over the place anymore. You you can wake up in the morning, you can come up with the idea, record it, shoot a video on it, release it. It's like, you know, you don't have to sit around and wait for permission. And that's powerful. But some people think it's like, oh, I'm an indie artist. Do you know how many major label artists right now are counting the day when their record contract is done so that they can be an indie artist yep. and they can own the masters like you do and they can own their publishing like you do because they can get distribution just like you. It's like all the things we used to need the labels for, we don't need them for anymore. And that's why it's changed. And that's what makes it great. It That's what makes it very liberating. And on that front end, you said it's a mindset shift. And I agree. It's like, just how we were talking earlier, it's like, you got to change that template because if you think it's kind of like a Ron Popeil set it and forget it, like, you know, like, ah, I put it out there and it's good. I'll just wait. All right then suddenly you're going to be like, well, nothing happened. I guess I can't do this. It's like you went about it the wrong way and you didn't even understand this, this whole world. How you said, yeah, what do you want? A lot of people say they want, I want to be successful. It's like, right. cool. What, is, what does that mean? Well, I want to have a good song. What does a good song look like? 
Well, a good song. Uh, what does the song do? Where does it land? Are you writing for an artist? Are you? Is this thing? Is this? It's like where do you want to go? Because even those roads have you know even other roads. So there's there's back roads to those things. So what is it? I think you have a great way of pinpointing to artists, like letting them know, like okay, what is it? Identify it, and where is your audience? I think that's the question because a lot of people are like, I'm creating this, and it's like, well, what's your audience? I don't know. Well, you should know. You should start you thinking know. what your audience looks like. You better know. And the thing is, is that if all we do is go and just create a whole bunch of music and spend a whole bunch of money and record all these songs and then go out and try to build an audience with it, now you're basically trying to get strangers to love your child. It's like, here, love my kid. You know, just dumping your kid on them, but. If you look at it like this and you build this audience and then you tell them about the idea that you have and then you invite them into the studio or you invite them into your your guitar session, it's like and that's the thing for a lot of your listeners, stuff that you do every day that you just assume is boring and mundane is exciting for people that want behind the curtain. It's like when you can wake up and say, I had this thought and I wrote it down and then I called Mike and I said, look. I need, I need your help. I, here's this song that's in my, my head. I need your help getting it out. Can you help me? Here's the thought. Here's the chords I'm hearing. Here's the sounds that I, and when you can let people see the, the idea, the, the pregnancy and then the birth, now they feel some kind of connection to that child. And now they, they take ownership in that child because they felt like they, they learned some it from him. When you let them pick the artwork and, when you, you know, there's so many little things that you can do today to bring people into your world, but instead we show up as complete strangers with unfamiliar music, asking people for their time, here, watch my video and tell me what you think of it. And it's like, dude, I don't even know you. It's like, you just showed up in my feed and you're asking for four minutes of my time. I, I'm not there with you yet. So all I've ever done and all I do consistently is I practice what I preach. And what I mean by that is that I tell the artists that I work with is I put out singles every day. This podcast is going to be a single. Mm -hmm. My social posts are singles. I, my, my ads are singles. These singles are then going to invite you to a show. If you dug the song enough, I'm going to then invite you to a show. And at that show, I'm going to perform. And if I've done my job correctly and I've given the audience what they want, there's a real good chance I can get them over to the merch table afterwards for us to get to know each other and for them to see what other goods and services I have that might be able to serve them. I always tell people, my job is to earn the right to present an opportunity to you. So for musicians, you're putting your music out, you're doing the socials, you're engaging you're, you're learning how to market properly. They connect with your music. We get them to an area where they can now connect more with you. And then ultimately, we give them an opportunity to go further in the relationship because ultimately, that's where the money is going to be made. It's in the relationship. You know, Chance the Rapper, take my music, share it. Great. But hey, this number three had looked really good on you. <laughs> only 25 bucks. You know, it's like he made all his money from his merch by encouraging people to take his music and share it with their friends when the rest of the world was saying, stop sharing, stop downloading, stop shit. It's like, he's like, no, take it, do whatever you want with it. Yeah. And then he learned too, that, Hey, you can get credit for streams and he's, he goes and wins a Grammy without ever selling a record. I think that's the amazing story because 
what you're describing too, I feel is long-term thinking sometimes yeah. you know we have a very short term sometimes the artist is like well i got an album i remember it used to be like here's my album then there's a two-year gap here's my album there's a two-year gap maybe three years i think of i remember the one i was looking forward to back in the day was weezer weezer came out with pinkerton 1996 then it was 2000 and like one yeah for that album and it was just like what's taking forever yeah and it's changed dramatically and you're right if i have a product and then it's just it's like n opening up a restaurant in an area i have no idea about and i don't know what the demographic is and i figure like here it is i bought it come to my restaurant and it's like that makes zero sense whatsoever but if i listen and i start to go like hey i want to show you this process of the song and i see like oh people really stream this one or they they watch this video over and over a lot so i think this song that i was showing a snippet of that's actually the one right there that people want that's it and that's the thing is that they once again had some say yeah in it it's like and now it's like we can keep people excited with snippets minute and a half things if weezer understood the technology <laughs> you know it's like adele teased instagram live did everything and then when her record dropped it was the largest stream song ever in a 24-hour period of time but she just didn't randomly show up with this song for that to happen she went on instagram live and she shared the process and they shared pictures and they used all the technology that every single one of you have the ability to have access to now they used all that technology to make something happen it's execution like you know there's a poster behind you that says execution and it feels like being very intentional and being very once you're targeted all those questions you've been asking yeah. and asking them to think about the action plan becomes a little bit more clear. And for most artists, they're walking around, they're throwing money at stuff. And it's like, they don't stop and think, okay, what is the action plan? What is the end result? What is this going to get me? And what's going to happen next? Why do you think some artists tend to lean towards, well, I'm going to throw money and the other ones that eventually do stop and go like, I, there's something I need to know more about. Well, the, you have to throw money. They're yeah. just throwing it at the wrong things. It's like, you can't build a business for free. It's just not going to happen. Uh, uh, and that's the bigger problem is that artists expect everything for free, but <laughs> that's just not life. They're very unrealistic. The problem is, is that they've been trained to think that, okay, I just recorded this record. I'm going to go hire a publicist. And I'm like, great. For what? And they're like, what do you mean for what? I need to go get publicity. Great. What makes it what what is the worthiness of this just because you're putting out a record does not make it press worthy and then i ask him so what is pr well i want to get in magazines great why would the why would rolling stone magazine give you a piece of well i've released this well they don't care how much you've spent on they don't care anything they don't, who are you what's your story what's the, and then they're like oh my gosh it's like you know, you're asking people, it's like, well, I'm doing this pre-save, so I'm going to get PR for my pre-save. Great. So you're going to ask a complete stranger to pre-save a song. What? No. Okay, wait, but they haven't heard any of your music yet, right? No. Okay, so would you do it? No. Then why would they? So it's like I'm constantly finding myself just asking them, okay, why? What is the whole point of getting PR? Well, I want 
to be in a magazine. Why? Well, I want people to hear about my music. Great. Do you have any way of connecting with those people that read that article? No. Okay. So why would you spend money to not be able to continue to build a relationship with the person that might have heard your stuff? I said, let me ask you this. If if I could, and, and by the way, when you're on playlist or you're on radio commercials or whatever, that's just passive. It's just no one chose to hear your song. It just happened to play. So I call that passive. When you run Facebook or Instagram ads and you target the audience that you want in the location that you want and they choose, I call it chosen marketing, when they choose to push play and now you have the ability to retarget them and say, hey, I noticed you watched this first video. That's powerful but that's not sexy. And now everybody's like, yeah, but I just want to get into Rolling Stone magazine. Great. Do you know that right now Rolling Stone is locked behind a paywall? So the only people that see it are the people that pay to have a subscription to Rolling Stone magazine or Billboard magazine or all those places that you used to say you wanted to get in. There was a time when that was the place you wanted to be. Now we have a million Rolling Stone magazines, not called that with more viewership and more interaction and more engagement. It's like, stop worrying about how sexy it looks and focus on how effective it is. It's like, I I tell these guys, I'm a golfer. That's what I love to do. I love to golf. It's a very expensive hobby. I spent a lot of money on it. I spent a lot of time on it. All my buddies want to play. So they have these, for those of you that don't understand golf, they have these different tee boxes for the level of where you are. Mm-hmm. Golfers tend to think they're better than what they are. So most golfers are playing from a place they shouldn't play from. I decided I didn't care how far I hit it because golf is a math class. It's not an art class. At the end of the day, it's the person with the lowest score wins. And I found <laughs> that playing from the white tees even though it wasn't as sexy, allowed me to shoot lower scores and take money off of my buddies while they're all chasing their shots in the woods and all these different places. That's the difference between me and most people. So I challenge you to be different enough to where you are effective. Yeah, three guys are shooting from the tee and I'm sitting in the cart waiting and I get to my tee box and I go and at the end of every hole, my score's lower. Why? (laughs) Because I don't care how sexy something is. I want to know how effective something is. And for my distance, I started taking lessons online from a guy who teaches seniors. And I started watching women's golf. Why? Because they had smoother swings and they slowed it down. And I knew I needed to slow it down. So while everybody else is trying to be Bryson DeChambeau, who's the longest hitter in golf, I'm more sitting there going, let me be, you know, Nelly Corda. You know, I'd rather have the swing of the girl than the swing of him because she wins and I can effectively repeat that. So I challenge each of you to get out of your own way, to maybe step back and take a look at what might not be working right now. I'll tell you exactly where to find the solution. Every single one of you, this is 100%. In order to find the solution to whatever your problem is, Go look in the mirror because that's the person who holds the keys to you getting the solution. It's you. If there's something that's not working in your business, 
it's you. If, if your vocals aren't on point, it's you. If your instrumentation is crap, it's you. If your marketing's crap, it's you. There's no one else to blame but you because the resources are available when you seek out the right resources. And that's what I challenge you to do is to sit there and say, okay, where am I struggling? And who is the quickest and best solution to my problem? Because college is not your quickest and best solution sometimes. <laughs> There's nothing quick about it. It's like with people, it's like, I'm like, hey, you can come spend an hour with me and I'll teach you what I know about this. Or you can go take a nine week course and learn at their pace for the same amount of money. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah. And that's what people are choosing to do. Take the nine week course. So yeah, it's, it's all different now. It's like, it's all the psychology, psychology and human behavior if you focus on that you'll be golden i think it's hilarious because it is true where it's just like you know college isn't the answer people are like well i'll go to music school for this this is going to figure out it's just like don't it's just please save your money you are, what are you going to do be a doctor yes go to school get as much education as you can before but for those of you that want to be musicians any information you need, you can get on the internet right now. You can either, a lot of times you can find it for free, but the, what you're going to pay for it with is time. And what it is, is most musicians tell me, Rick, I just don't have time. Then if you're, then why are you trying to find everything for free? When you pay for something, you pay for speed. Yeah. If I go to a guitar instructor, if I go to Mike, I'm not going to Mike because I want to learn how to play the guitar. I'm going to Mike because I want to learn how to play the guitar faster than if I was trying to figure it out on my own, because I can go get guitar lessons online for free, but that, that instructor can't stop me. That instructor on YouTube can't see what I'm doing wrong. That instructor on YouTube. So I, there's a lot of great teachers on YouTube at that give instruction, but when you can physically be with someone that's just speeding up the process. They may not have any more knowledge than the guy that you're learning from on YouTube, but they're going to be able to fast track you. And that's the thing I want you to think about is like, how can I get to my goal the fastest? It's by buying trainings and getting resources and hiring coaches and getting mentorship. There's so many different things, but those things cost money. You know, it's like, I can tell you all day, I get the same exact thing. It's like, hey, I need your help. Great. Go to the links in my bio. There's the information that will help you. Yeah, but I need you to do it. No, you don't. No. You know? <laughs> and and at the recording of this, I'll read one that I recently got. Okay. I think I need your help. I <laughs> truly need your help. I said, then go to the links in my bio. Tons of help there. Yeah. I have done main points are made, an EP in lockdown, got on national radio, I want to get my numbers bigger. But so hard, so many companies saying we will help, we will help. But Cowboys, I have no idea what that meant. I said, you need to grow your own numbers. You need the skills. Stop waiting for people to help you and start helping yourself. My trainings help thousands of indie artists. I don't mean to be rude, but I said, then don't. You reached out to me. And then she left a voice message. British gal, well, I'm a mother. I have a child. I have all this stuff. And I'm like, great. I said, then what I'm going to do is teach you to fish. I said, you don't want to be dependent on anyone because then if they disappear, you're screwed. And that's the thing where I think most artists miss the boat is they think that they need somebody else to do it for them. No, 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 no. I said, so I ended up sending her a link to go check out my new marketing training. And she's like, thank you so much. You're so kind. But it's like, if, if someone tells you, you should be looking 
for the solutions. You should not be looking for someone to do it all for you because that's not how life works. It's like no quarterback, no pitcher, no Taylor, she's on the treadmill herself. She's at vocal lessons herself. She's doing the things that she's supposed to do. She has people that are pointing her in the right direction. But all of the superstars, the difference between a superstar and an artist you hear all the time on the radio is that they understand and treat it like a business and their work ethic. There's a lot of people with more talent. There's a lot of people that write better songs or sing better or dance better or do whatever. But if you look at all the superstars, they understand their business. They surround themselves with the right people. They'll hire the right people. You know, everybody's like, well, I want you to just do what you did for Taylor. Great. Taylor paid me $150,000 a year. That's why my book's called the $150,000 music degree. I said, right now, I wouldn't even do it for that because yeah. I make way more money helping way more many people, you know? And that's my thing right now is my, my goal is to help thousands. I'm not looking to manage one or two artists and cross my fingers and hope that something happens. No, I'm focused on how do I help as many people as possible? That's what my goal is. That's how I, that's how I do it. Now. I, I think it's important what you said, you shouldn't be dependent. And it's like when you get into it too, there was a book that I love, Who Not How. Yeah. It's just like, even if you don't know what the answer is, there's someone out there with the knowledge yeah. and you can go to them, you can pay because yeah, you're right. What you're gonna realize the further and further you get down your career, that time, is the most precious thing that you have. Where are you going to spend it? If you're not asking the right questions on where to focus, you're gonna waste it. If you're trying to find all the answers yourself and then build, you wanna go to someone that can fast track you and tell you a process that you can be like, ah, you did the work for me. That's amazing, thank you. It's like, now I can use that and they can go run with it. And that's yeah. awesome. And I think that's what you do so well. And just like, how do you describe that? I was like, ah. That's it. So I did a whole podcast episode on the who, not how, you know, it's like, don't say, how do I do this? Go, who could show me how to do this? Who can help me do that? Who, who can get me to that next point? Cause we're in a business of, it's just a series of next. It's yeah. like accomplish this. Okay. What's next? Got this. Great. What's next. And that's what I do. It's like when I was building my business, yeah. when I needed to take 30 years of experience in my head and I said, okay, how do I get it out of my head and create courses? I went and bought the teachings from the guys that taught me how to get it out of my head and make courses. And when I needed this, I went and I did this. When I needed to learn how to run Facebook and Instagram ads, I went and I got certified as a Facebook and Instagram marketer who could teach me how to do this, who can show me what it is that I need to do. Because I kept hearing people go, oh, I lost my Facebook guy and my business is, I'm like, screw it. Then I'm gonna learn how to do it myself. you know. And now I have a business partner and that's what they do. But it's like, at the time, I wasn't going to be dependent on anyone. I wasn't going to be at the mercy of anyone. It's like if I had an idea that I wanted to get out, I wanted to be able to get it out. I didn't want to be told, uh, sorry, we have to wait. It's not your turn yet. I'm impatient too. But the <laughs> difference is, is I'm willing to spend to fast track myself. Yeah, Most people aren't. I, any single time that I've invested a little bit into what I'm doing, the return was greater than what I put in. It was yeah. always more and it was always more. And I realized as that ladder grows and you climb, obviously it's going to be more, but then I've seen it too often where it's just like, every time I've done that, the return's great. So it totally makes sense without a second thought. And I feel like the ones that are like, no, they're holding on to that little bit of change, but they just never let go. And that's where they stay. And they think, yep. because you know, they're out yep. to get me. I need yep. to hold on to this and it's never good. Yep.
Oh, Rick, this was great. So if they want to find you, where can they go? RickBarker.com. Easy peasy. I hang out on Instagram a lot. I'm at Rick Barker Music on Instagram and and Twitter. But and you know, if you if you want a fun little read, you can go to ricksfreebook.com and get a PDF download of my book. It's my gift to you. But just just make sure that you, that once you get the education, that you do something with it. I see a lot of artists sitting on stuff and they'll go from podcast to podcast or webinar to webinar, training <laughs> to training. It's like None of you need another training or another course. What you need are the results that that course will get you, and you will never get those results if you don't do the work. So uh, my my advice to you is, you know, and there's all kinds of resources uh, on the website. Just go get the resource. Find the one that you need right now. I call it at the moment learning. It's my buddy Michael Elsner says that. It's like, what do you need right now? It's like, if your songs aren't up to speed, then focus on getting your songs right before you start trying to do marketing or really getting interactive on social media, get the music right. You know, I call it the three M's. You've got to have the music right, the marketing, and then the money comes. People just go music, try to get it sold, and they miss the middle part. So you got to get the three M's, but great marketing will never overcome mediocre songs. So make sure that you get your music right first, and then all these other things will start making sense damn good advice rick and we'll end on that thanks so much for hanging with me this has been awesome impactful of knowledge man appreciate it and that does it for this week's episode it was edited and produced by chris Fafalius. i'm mike myers thanks for listening